It's time for Truth Unfiltered with Pastor Chad Harvey. Aren't all churches centered on Jesus by definition? No, no, no. There are some churches that are centered around their pastor. There are some churches that are centered on the worship. There are some churches that are centered around the building. Some churches are centered around their legacy. No. We're centered on Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Church. That's Chad Harvey. And welcome to today's broadcast of Truth Unfiltered. We're glad you're here. Pastor Chad is the teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, leading you to a deeper understanding of the Bible by putting the scriptures in context, emphasizing how God's Word applies to our daily lives. We invite you to join us and allow the Holy Spirit to bring truth unfiltered to you. And now, here's Pastor Chad. I was reading about Charlie Chaplin. Anybody remember who Charlie Chaplin was? Actor, comedian. He was kind of the Chris Rock of, uh, of his day. Very popular. And this is a true story. I think it happened in France. Charlie Chaplin went to France and entered a Charlie Chaplin lookalike contest. And I can't remember how many dozens of people were in that contest as well. And Charlie Chaplin came in third place in a Charlie Chaplin lookalike contest. And I wonder if we had a real church contest. And we put the American church, the contemporary church, the traditional church, the TV church, and the New Testament church up here and said, now which one is the real church? I wonder if the real biblical New Testament church would come in third place. Because the church of the New Testament seems in a lot of ways to be different than what we call church here in America today. And so we've been going through the book of Revelation, and so turn to Revelation chapter 3, and remember the background of this, we're going to go through the whole book, but we've been studying seven churches that Jesus wrote letters to. John is an old man, he's in his 90s, he's on the island of Patmos, which I told you before is like Alcatraz. He's an old man, it's really sad, and he followed Jesus, he's under the blazing Mediterranean sun in the Aegean Sea, breaking rocks, and Jesus shows up. And Jesus dictates seven letters to seven specific churches uh, about, what, uh, 80 miles away on the mainland. And two of these churches, Jesus commends. He says, y'all doing a good job. Y'all the real church. Five of the churches, Jesus does not commend them. This is one of the two churches that Jesus says, y'all doing a good job. It's the church there at uh, Philadelphia. The other church where Jesus says great job is the church at Smyrna. And the church at Philadelphia, you understand it's not our Philadelphia. This is Philadelphia in ancient Turkey. Philadelphia uh, means the city of brotherly love, the friendly city really is what it means. And any of y'all who have been to Philadelphia or you've watched a sporting game with the uh, Philadelphia folks, you understand they're the most loving, kind people in the world. And so it was named that because the king that kind of founded that city had a brother that he was very close to, and everybody talked about how close they were, and so they called this, after that king, the city of brotherly love. And Jesus says, verse 7, and to the angel at the church at Philadelphia write, these things says he who is holy, he is true, he who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan 
who say they're Jews, but they're not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of the trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Wow. So what is a biblical New Testament church? Well, number one, a biblical New Testament church, watch this, is led by a pastor. I want you to see that in verse 7. Jesus says, I'm giving a message to the church, but I'm going to do it through the angelos. Do you see that angel or messenger, the pastor? That's what I told you a few weeks ago. There they call me your little angel. And so Jesus says, through the pastor, the messenger of the church, I have a message. Y'all do understand this committee run board run democratic church where we all vote as to what God's direction is. Y'all do understand that's not biblical, right? That is New Testament, pardon me, that is American democracy that we have superimposed on the New Testament church. I believe in getting counsel. I got elders. I got deacons. I got pastors. We, 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 We collaborate. We talk. I believe in getting counsel. But you can't run a church by a committee. For God so loved the world that he did not send a committee. And I've got pastor friends who want to lead, but they can't because they got a committee running the church. And people tell me this. They'll say, look, I, I don't believe one person ought to run the church. I think a committee ought to do that. One person will always lead the church. It'll either be the pastor or the lay alpha male on the, uh, on the board, but somebody's going to run that church. And so I, I, I believe in balance here. I, I don't believe in, in a dictatorship. In fact, some of y'all, which y'all see on TV with pastors and some of y'all been in churches like this, it's actually an unhealthy extreme. I, y'all gonna think I'm making this up. I'm not making up what I'm about to tell you. I know of churches where the pastor walks in the pulpit and he has a Bible carrier. That's his job is to carry the Bible. And then while he's preaching, he's got a sweat wiper. And when he starts sweating, the little sweat wipers come up and wipe his sweat. I'm actually thinking about doing it. I think Chris is gonna be my sweat wiper, Pastor Chris. And I want Vic to start carrying my Bible to the pulpit. That's an unhealthy extreme. The other unhealthy extreme is, well, he's just a pastor. He's our hireling. We tell him what to do. That's an unhealthy extreme. We need to be balanced with this stuff. And I thank God for a balanced church that y'all don't put me on a platform, but you also respect my leadership. Actually, I I like that. And in fact, I heard a story years ago about a rural church. Man called the church office on a Monday morning at this little rural church. And uh, secretary answered, and the man said, hey, can I speak to the head hog? She said, the head hog. He said, yeah, I want to speak to the head hog. She said, sir, I'm offended. If you mean the pastor, then you can call him the pastor, but you're not going to call him the head hog. He said, look, I'm sorry. I have a $10,000 check. I want to run by the church to give to the building program. And I just wanted to talk to the pastor. She said, hold on a second. Porky just walked in. And so... (laughs) 
You know, Leonard Ravenhill said, we've actually come to the place in the church in America where the qualification for you leading the church, we think, is you own two Texaco stations and a hot dog stand. Y'all do understand, just because you might be a great business person doesn't mean that God has designated you to run the church, okay? And so, number one, biblical church is led by a pastor. Number two, a biblical New Testament church is centered on Jesus. Look at verse eight. Jesus says to the church, you've not denied my name. I'm gonna ask y'all to start doing something. Start saying Jesus instead of God. I understand Jesus is God. I know who you're talking about. When you, I understand that. But out there in that world, when you say God, they may think you're talking about Allah, Buddha, whoever. When you say Jesus, that's when people start getting a little bit uncomfortable. And in fact, I had somebody recently tell me, they said, I'm supposed to pray at some big gathering, you know, uh, coming up, like a secular gathering. They asked me to pray. Well, I, I'm trying to think about what to say. I said, I'm not going to tell you what to say, but I do ask this. When you get through praying, you pray in the name of Jesus. Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's Jesus. And Jesus, you've not denied my name. Verse 7, there's a beautiful description of Jesus. He describes himself as holy. Do you see that? That's an Old Testament title for God. Isaiah 6. He is holy, holy, holy. Jesus says, I am holy. Implication, Jesus is God. He calls himself true. Aren't you glad in a world of fake media, there's something true and his name is Jesus and he never changes? And then he calls himself, he who has the key of David. Now, what's he talking about? Do you see that? Uh, verse seven, he who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. What he's talking about is in Isaiah 22, there was a man named Eliakim and Eliakim was the treasurer to the king's treasury. And so he guarded that door. He had a giant key to that door. And if somebody came to the king and said, I need this. And the king didn't want to give him it. He said, Eliakim, don't open that door for him. Somebody came to the king and the king says, no, I do want to bless you. He'd say, Eliakim, take the key, the key of David, and open the door and give him what he needs. And Jesus says to the church, I am that Eliakim. I control the treasuries of heaven. Ephesians 1.3, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. If you need peace, I open the door and I give you some peace. If you need some strength, I open the door and I give you some strength. If you need comfort, I open the door and I give you comfort because I have the key of David. Isn't that great? And so a biblical New Testament church is centered on Jesus. Now you say, well, wait a second. Aren't all churches centered on Jesus by definition? No, 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 no. There are some churches that are centered around their pastor. It's all about the pastor. There are some churches that are centered on the worship Worship team. we got the best worship in town. Everybody come because look at our worship team. There's some churches, they're centered around the building. Some churches are centered around their legacy. No, we're centered on Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus, church. And um, now look, I changed my sermon illustration here because I got to do a little bit of damage control. So let me, uh, let me just share this with you. So every Sunday before I come out and preach first service, I meet with the worship team out back and we just kind of have a little time of prayer and, and whatever. And I said this morning, I said, team, I don't know why, but at the house today, I was thinking about y'all praying about y'all. And the Lord reminded me of the story of the donkey that carried Jesus into Jerusalem. Have y'all read that story before? Right. And all the crowds are cheering. That donkey would be ridiculous if he said, look at all these people cheering for me. Wow, they really like me. He kind of puts his shoulders back a little bit and kind of struts a little bit because he thinks all the people are watching him. He said, look, the people were not there to celebrate the donkey. The donkey was just there to hold up Jesus. 
on Sunday morning, I'd, I'd be foolish to say, wow, they're here to see me. This team would be foolish to say, look at all the people cheering for me. Y'all aren't cheering for me. You're not cheering for them. We're here as a church to hold up Jesus Christ. That's, that's why we're here. We're centered around Jesus. Hey, do you know what's hit me? Again, I'm, I'm, I'm going off a little tangent today. I, I, was, I was so depressed about my sermon, first service and second service. And now I realize it's not my fault. It's the crowd's fault. They weren't cheering me like y'all are. So that's, thank y'all. All right, so here you go. Number three, a biblical New Testament church is committed to missions. Look at verse eight. See, I have set before you an open door and nobody can shut it. In the Bible, open doors symbolize mission evangelistic opportunities. Let me give you some examples. Acts 14, 27. Now when they come together, they gather together, the missionaries are talking to the church and they reported all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith for the Gentiles. Open door. First Corinthians 16, eight through nine. Paul says, but I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost for a great and effective door has opened for me. Open door. Second Corinthians 2.12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and a door was opened to me by the Lord. Open door. Colossians 4.3. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Open door. And so when Jesus says to the church at Philadelphia, I love y'all. Y'all are doing great. Because he's saying, I gave you an open door for missions. Y'all did not turn in on yourselves and say, we're in this little life raft. Let's huddle together. Hope the liberals don't get us. And Jesus Christ just comes back. No, y'all are going out and changing this world for me. The open door. We're in the kind of church Jesus honors. We got to understand our focus is to, is to share the gospel of this whole world. In fact, yesterday we had our membership class in here. Yesterday we had 150 people in here to take this membership class. It was actually really good. And a lot of them come from non-Pentecostal backgrounds. And here's what I want you to understand this. If you're not from a Pentecostal background, when you hear me say Pentecost or Pentecostal, don't think freaky. Don't think swinging from the chandeliers. Don't think snake handling. When I say Pentecost, I want you to think of one word, missions. Because the purpose of Pentecost is God empowering you and me to take the good news of Jesus Christ out of this world. And when there's a church that is truly spirit-filled, it's going to be engaged in global missions. In fact, A.J. Gordon, a preacher from the 1800s and an author from the 1800s, he said, you know, study revivals. He said, whenever in any century there has been a fresh outpouring of the Spirit, there has followed inevitably a fresh endeavor in the work of evangelizing the world. Do you see that? Anytime there's a revival, a true revival, there's going to be a passion to win souls to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, we saw this a couple years ago. So uh, Pastor Pepper's our youth pastor now, have been Pastor Wes. And before Pastor Wes, it's Pastor Ashley. I, I knew him back in the mountains of North Carolina when he was a canine officer. And I knew the call of God was on his life. So when I came here, we needed a youth pastor. I brought him on. And he was te- trying to teach the youth this connection between the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and missions. And he took a youth group to Guatemala years ago. What, 10 years ago? However long. To Guatemala. And while he was there in Guatemala... He's trying to talk to them about evangelism and the power of the Holy Spirit. Evangelism and the Spirit. And they came upon a little 10-year-old girl who had never spoken before. Never. She could hear, but she had never spoken in her 10 years of life. And the mother was there, and they asked the mother, can we pray for her? She said, yes. And they gathered around this little girl and started praying for her. And somebody in the group said, I just felt impressed by the Spirit to tell this girl in Spanish, just say the name of Jesus. 
And this 10-year-old girl who had never spoken opened her mouth and just started saying over and over again, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And God healed her. And that opened a great door for evangelism right there in that little village. The connection of the outpouring of the Spirit and global missions. And so a true biblical church is led by a pastor. It's focused on Jesus. It's committed to missions. And then a biblical New Testament church relies on the power of God. Look at verse 8. Jesus says to this church, you have a little strength. It doesn't seem like a compliment, does it? You imagine Jesus looking out at Cross Assembly and saying, Cross Assembly, I'm looking at y'all. Y'all a bunch of puny people. But that's really what he's saying to this church. But, it, but it's a compliment. I think what he's saying is this. Hey, you're relying on my power. You're not relying on your lights and your smoke machine and your TV show and your radio. You're not relying on that. It's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by my spirit. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, when I'm weak, that's when he can work. That's when he's strong. And Jesus says to this church, you're not relying on your strength. You have just a little power. And because you understand it's not about you, it's about me, I'm working through you. In fact, one old preacher, A.C. Dixon, said this. When we rely on organization, we get what organization can do. When we rely on education, we get what education can do. When we rely on eloquence, we get what eloquence can do. But when we rely on prayer, we get what God can do. And that was that church there at Philadelphia. All right, number five. Here's the final one. A biblical New Testament church is committed to Scripture. Do you see that in verse 8? You have kept my word. Now, what does it mean that they're committed to Scripture? They're committed to the Bible. There's several things. Number one, fundamentally, it means they read and they knew their Bible. I was going to tell you something. There is a rash of biblical ignorance in the American church today. We don't know our Bibles. There's a reason why a 90-day wonder out of the Jehovah's Witnesses can theologically dismantle most Christians today because they know their heresy better than we know the truth. And so you've got to know the Word of God. And we don't have that in the American church. In fact, listen to this. I think it was a Barna study. According to this Barna study, 82% of Americans believe that this, this phrase, God helps those who help themselves, they believe it's in the Bible. Y'all do realize that's not in the Bible, right? You say, well, that's the broader population. Yeah, the evangelicals did better by 1%. 81% of evangelicals think that that phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is in the Bible. A Barnard poll indicated that at least 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Another survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that a very high percentage thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were a husband and wife. And a considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. Preached the Sermon on the Mount. And so when Jesus said, you've kept my word, he said, number one, you know my word. Number two, you stand under the authority of the Bible. I've said this before. As followers of Jesus, our life needs to be lived like this. I live under the authority of the word of God. The word of God determines how I live, how I think, my worldview. But too many Christians live their lives like this. They are standing in authority over the word of God. And I read into the Bible what I want the Bible to say. I read in the Bible my definition of marriage. I read into my Bible my definition of what's right and what's wrong. You can't live like that. As followers of Jesus, we stand under the authority of the word. Hey, a lot of y'all... 
are living under the authority of Facebook. If 99% of my friends think this lifestyle is perfectly acceptable, I guess it's perfectly acceptable. No, you don't stand under the authority of Mark Zuckerberg. You stand under the authority of the word of God. And the word of God has got to determine how we think, what we believe, our entire worldview comes under the authority of the word of God. When Jesus says you have kept my word, it also means, church, y'all have taught all of the word of God. Now, I'm going to tell you a rhetorical advice that's being used out there. And I'm going to, when I say what I'm about to say, okay, don't amen me for just a second. Because I'm going to say something. Some of y'all are going to say amen. I'm going to say, no, I'm trying to prove a point. Don't amen me. So here's right here, and it's a rhetorical device designed to shut your mouth. And it's this. Church, why are we so worried about abortion and gay marriage when all these people are dying and going to hell? We got bigger things to worry about. Stop worrying about all this stuff because people are dying and going to hell. And people clap over that. That is a rhetorical device designed to shut you down. Because here's what Jesus Christ said in Matthew 28. He says, go into all the world, preach the gospel, teaching them to observe how much? All, everything I have commanded you. Everything. Not just evangelism. Did you know that Jesus taught that children are precious and valuable? Did you know that? Do you know he taught that more than once? And so why do we as a church go into this culture and say, what we are doing to our children is wrong. Slaughtering children is wrong. Keeping the abortion mills open while we shut down the church was wrong because Jesus taught us children are precious in his sight. That is preaching the whole counsel of God. I don't know how much longer, I don't know how we've dodged these bullets on WRL. It's going to end soon, I know, but I'm going to say this. Our world says gay marriage, what I call gay mirage because it's not even real, it's okay and it's acceptable. Jesus taught us, no, he taught us several times. Marriage is between one man, one woman for life. If we want to teach everything Jesus has commanded us, we have to teach that as well. Y'all with me on that? And so that's what it means to stand under the authority of the word of God. All right. So Jesus says this. He says, Church of Philadelphia, I'm going to give you some promises. You do what I tell you to do. You keep doing this. Two promises. There's more, but let me give you two. Number one, look at verse nine. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I've loved you. It's the first promise. Now, who are these People, Jesus says that they say they're Jews, but they're not really Jews. Well, there's several possibilities. One, uh, there's something called replacement theology. Have you heard of that? Uh, replacement theology says that the church has replaced Israel. And God is done with Israel. He's through with Israel. Y'all are the new Israel. There's two problems with that. Number one, it opens the door to anti-Semitism. Number two, there are promises God made to Israel that have never been fulfilled, geographical promises, and it makes God a liar if Israel's done away with, okay? So he could be talking to these Judaizers who are teaching everybody, y'all are the new Jews, and Jesus says, no, you're not. Or he could be talking to, to people who are trying to put Christians back under the law. That was all over the New Testament, where people come in the church and say, I'm so glad you're saved. I'm so glad you're baptized. I'm so proud of you. But you know, you're not a fulfilled Christian yet. You got to do more. You got to go back under the law. No barbecue, no shrimp, wear the yarmulkes, blow the shofars, because if you really want to be saved, you got to go back under the law and observe the festivals and all that. I have that problem right here in this church. I want to say to some of the things people think Jesus is saying. You're not Jews. Take off the yarmulke. Stop blowing the shofar. You're not a Jew. You're a Gentile, okay? 
He could be talking about that. Or probably what he's talking about is um, there was a strong Jewish community in Philadelphia that was attacking the church. And I think it was Irenaeus, one of the church fathers, later on said that there was a revival. A lot of those Jews that had been attacking Christians got saved and started following Jesus. And the promise may be that Jesus is saying to these people, these people who are Jews that are attacking you, they're not really Jews. Real Jews would not treat people the way they're, they're treating you. And they would recognize their Messiah. But Jesus is saying, watch, you keep doing what you're going to do. One day they're going to fall and you're going to see them worship me. You're going to see them come to me. And a great example of that is the Apostle Paul. He was a Jew that persecuted Christians. He went to arrest Christians, but Jesus arrested him. And he gets saved. And the Christian church watched him fall at the feet of Jesus and worship Jesus. I was talking to a missionary a little while back who served in Indonesia in the most fundamentalist state of Indonesia, which is a very fundamentalist uh, Islamic country. And he said, in this particular state where I'm at, it was ruled by the imams. They were under Sharia, Sharia law. You couldn't build a church. You couldn't convert. It was a very difficult place. And then the tsunami hit. Y'all remember the tsunami? And he said, me and some fellow symbols of God, Christians, we mobilized the church to go in and rescue and rebuild and help. And he said, all the um, secular humanitarian agencies were like, this is too rough. They all pulled out. We're the ones that stayed. And he said, one day as we're working from early in the morning to late at night, this Muslim that was with me turned out of the blue and looked at me and said, everything they've told us about you Christians is wrong. Y'all are good people. And he said, when the imams saw that we had stayed and what we were doing, he said, you know what? They allowed us to start building churches there in that part of of Indonesia. And in fact, they turned a blind eye when we led others to Jesus Christ. What happened? Their enemies fell at the feet of Jesus because the church was the church. And that's the first promise. And then there's a second promise here in verse 10. It says, to the church of Philadelphia, because you've kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. Thanks for joining us for today's Truth Unfiltered broadcast. We invite you to join us again next time for more great teaching from Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church of Raleigh. Pastor Chad is the teaching pastor at Cross Assembly, right here in the Triangle. There are currently two locations, Yonkers Road, right off the Beltline near Capitol Boulevard, and the North Raleigh Campus near Triangle Town Center. But a celebration to soon launch a third campus will be coming in Benson. Cross Assembly believes in building people up and sending out spirit-filled agents of local and global transformation. So missions is part of the core value at Cross Assembly. You're invited to continue listening here on the radio or join in Sundays online or on campus. Visiting crossassembly.org to find out more about Cross Assembly and how you can get connected. That's crossassembly.org. We were starting a process through the private adoption agency. We were presented with the foster care system and the opportunity to become foster parents. 
get a referral for our first daughter. Doctors said she might not walk. There has been severe trauma in the head. She might not see. She might not be able to move. I asked the nurse, can we hold her? And she said yes. About an hour and a half, almost two hours. I remember holding her and praying, God, is this what you want for us and our family? Heal this baby. Touch her. The next day when we came back, the nurse and the doctors were amazed. They were asking us, what did you do to this baby after you left? She started moving, she started reacting, she started tracing something that she hadn't done in about a month that she had been there. I know a lot of people said, I don't understand how you can foster where they can be at your home one minute and then maybe a month later when you're starting to get attached, the social worker says, okay, there's a family placement or there's someone else that will be adapting the child. And we said, even if it's for one night, we know that they're in a safe home. We know that they will be loved and we know that we have the opportunity to show Christ to them. Please pray for the kids in the foster system. Please pray for more people to open up their hearts, to open up their homes. There's opportunities, whether it be supporting a family that has adopted either privately or through foster system. Feels good that our family adopted three little girls. I can't imagine my sisters not being a part of our family because they mean so much to us. And we felt like God was calling us to do that. Maybe God's God calling you to adopt. If you would like more information about Pastor Chad or Cross Assembly, visit crossassembly.org. Again, that's crossassembly.org. You're always welcome to visit us at any of our locations for Sunday morning services. You'll find locations and service times on our website. To support this ministry, text CROSS to 45777. That's CROSS to 45777. Join us again next time for more teaching with Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor of Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, and more of God's truth unfiltered. 